The Eastern Conference is done. We're in the NBA Finals, and those dastardly Miami Heat are back in the Finals. What lessons the Magic can learn and what echoes of history came from the Boston Celtics. Plus, we'll talk about clutch growth, because that's important for the playoffs, and some a debate that popped up about Dwight Howard. Let's get to it on today's Locked On Magic. You are Locked On Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is May 3rd, 2023. My name is Philip Ross. I'm the expert and site editor over at OrlandoMagicDaily.com. Of course, follow me on Twitter at R underscore OMD. On today's episode of Locked On Magic, we're going to chat a little bit about the Boston Celtics, what went wrong and what the Magic can learn from them, as well as how their playoff run, at least in parts, at least the conference finals at least, Echoed the failure of the 2010 Magic, perhaps the best team in Magic history. Yeah, I said it. Um, we could debate that maybe another day. Plus, we'll talk a little bit about the Magic's growth in clutch play, what they tried to do, where they struggled, and why it was important to struggle this year with that. And then uh, a little bit of an internet debate popped up that I want to comment on as well about Dwight Howard and Nikola Jokic. It's time to start correcting some history on Dwight Howard. We'll get to all that coming up here. In just a moment, but first, we want to thank you again for making Locked On Magic part of your day every day, no matter when you listen to us, whether it's first in the morning, whether it's right when we upload. We truly appreciate you making Locked On Magic part of your day every day. Remember this great Locked On podcast covering every single team in the NBA. Just search for Locked On and the team you're looking for, the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On NBA for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price. Guaranteed. The Eastern Conference playoffs are officially over. The Miami Heat with a dominant win over the Boston Celtics in Game 7 to make their way to the NBA Finals. Game 1 will be Thursday in Denver, and we will do a little bit more of a uh, finals preview. I'll I'll give you my finals prediction once I decide how much I want to get burned by my freezing cold takes um, on... Thursday's episode of Lockdown Magic. So we'll we'll talk finals. I think it's really important, as I've said throughout the playoffs, I think it's really important to still talk about the playoffs. Um, I think it's really important, especially for a team like the Magic, I think it's really important to look at the, the at the postseason and figure out what's working and what's not working uh, and how the Magic can play into that and how the Magic can be a factor in that or what lessons, essentially, they can learn from their pl- from the playoffs and from uh from the postseason in general. So I think all that is is really, really important. And so we're gonna get to some of that coming up um coming up here today and certainly uh, continue to talk about the finals. The Eastern Conference Finals this year was a lesson in really how much effort and culture matter. Um, how much effort and culture can overcome talent, but also how talent isn't everything. Um, it's it was a weird Eastern Conference Finals because um, if you look on, you know, like everyone's criticizing ESPN for 
their stats saying even with a down in a 3-0 hole, the Celtics were favored to come back. And obviously that nearly happened. All of that was based off of regular season data. And the Celtics in the regular season were one of the best teams in the league. They were, they were a team that just had so much talent. They could come at you in so many ways. Their switching scheme was difficult to prepare for. And they seemed to have it all. And all the pieces in place, they had depth. They had, they had everything they thought they would need. Now, obviously, in a seven-game series, you're not having these shooting lulls. In a in a seven game series, things even out. There's enough time. You know, you can have a hot game, and you'll have a cold game. And so, you know, the, the idea of playing a seven game series is you take away the variability. And so, I think it's telling that Boston had two of its worst three point shooting games of the season in this series, and in the key games. So at the end of the day, Boston, I don't think they were confident in what they were doing. At the end of the day, Boston was unsure of itself. And when pressure got applied to the Celtics, when they when they had, you know, in every playoff run, you're going to have moments where you're on the edge. In 2009, the Magic lost game one of their first round series against Sixers at home. They lost game three at the buzzer. They were down 2-1 in that series. They had to find a buzzer beater in game four, or they would have been down 3-1, and that run would have been snuffed out before it even started. Further in that playoff run, let's just keep going with that playoff run. The conference semifinals against Boston, they lose game four at home on that buzzer beater to Glenn Davis. They're 2-2. Boston wins game five. They're back home facing elimination. And what happens? Dwight Howard steps up and has one of the best games of his career to ensure the Magic advance. Or to ensure the Magic get to a Game 7, and they took care of their business in Game 7. Um, conference Finals. LeBron hits that shot. Tie, tie series. LeBron has probably the still, I think, one of the best individual playoff series that I have ever seen. And the Magic withstand it. They get to game six. They take care of their business. They win game four in overtime. Every playoff series or every playoff run, pressure is going to get applied to you. You're going to face elimination. You're going to face your due. And repeatedly in this playoffs, and this is, again, why I want to talk about clutch play a little bit uh, later on in the show, repeatedly through these playoffs, Boston did not seem capable of standing up to this pressure. Of of dealing with the uncertainty that comes in the playoffs. That's one of the things that crushed them. They lost to Atlanta in close game. You know, they they had not won out until game 6. I don't think they won a single close game. All, all series. They lost to Philadelphia in that overtime game. They blew a lead against Atlanta in the first round. They blew two leads in games one and two against Miami. They win game one or game. They win game one or game two. Miami, obviously, seven game series that flips the whole thing. 
This doesn't go seven. This goes exactly how we think. Boston got Boston gave other teams confidence, and you could see them get tight late in games. You could see them be unsure. And when the pressure was on in game seven, Miami thrives in that pressure. They've been playing that pressure all year long. Just look back at the two games against Orlando in Orlando. But the first three games against Orlando when they came back in the fourth, Miami lives for that pressure. And that's why they're such a dangerous team. They aren't scared of pressure. They seek it out. It's their strategy. And it's going to be the strategy against Denver. Keep that game close. Just give us a chance. Buck it up. Make it dirty. Frustrate Denver. Keep it close. And we'll see what happens. Now, I think Denver's a significantly better team than Boston, especially right now. So we'll see how that goes for them eventually. Especially clutch games run out. Clutch luck runs out. But... Ultimately, Boston's problem goes back to what Eddie House said about the Celtics back in December. Magic fans railed against Eddie House, and and rightfully so. Because when the Magic beat the Celtics back in December, Eddie House said it plainly and, and simply, if you're a championship team like Boston, you cannot lose to the Orlando Magic. You gotta take care of the magic on your home court. This is a rebuilding team. This is a team that's got seven wins at that point. They had more than that. Um, they were they're on their six-game win streak at that point. Um, this is a team you've got to take care of. And what did Boston do in that game Friday? They slept walk through the game. Uh, we, we can admit that. The magic caught them, burned them. And what lesson did Boston learn the next game? They let it happen again. Eddie House correctly diagnosed Boston's problem back in December. The magic, the magic sent out the warning shot back in December that this Celtics team is just kind of unserious when it comes to being a title team. They have the talent, they have the ability, but did they have the intangibles, I guess, to make it happen? Uh, and and you know, as I was watching this series with Miami, obviously, I thought a lot about the 2010 Magic. One of my favorite Magic teams of all time. One of the most fun teams. A team that played with a lot of joy. Played together. Really liked really liked each other. Stampeded through the playoffs. Sweeping Charlotte. Sweeping Atlanta. To get to what they thought was going to be a rematch with the Cavs. A team they matched up really well with. And now a, a rematch, and but instead got a rematch with the Celtics at full force this time with Kevin Garnett in the lineup. And look, the Magic lost that series in six. They fell down 3-0, and that series was as close as this one was. The Magic lost a close game in game one, a hard-fought battle between two really good teams, came down to a couple missed free throws. They lost game two at home, again, came down to a few plays. 2-0 wasn't panic time. But then they came back to Boston, lost game three in a blowout. And, and, and certainly after game two, game one, you could see some of that joy that defined that Magic team get sucked out of them. All of a sudden, they had to be serious. And, and frankly, that wasn't that team's identity. A lot of the same things happened, I think, to Boston in this series against Miami. They got a lot of their joy sucked out of them. 
they got uncomfortable. And honestly, that 2010 Magic team probably wasn't good at being uncomfortable. They'd been very comfortable for a few weeks with the, with the two sweeps. And the playoffs, you've got to be uncomfortable. You've got to love being uncomfortable. That 0-9 team, they were fine being uncomfortable. They felt like they were playing with house money. They were just going. But when you have championship expectations, you got to be willing to be uncomfortable. That's where the Miami Heat live. Miami Heat live in your discomfort. They live to be uncomfortable. They live to figure this stuff out. The Celtics didn't. And that is a major flaw that honestly is part, partially on coaching. They weren't prepared for a lot of these games, to be honest. They kept making the same mistakes over and over again. Mistakes that we saw from them back in December. And so Boston's out. And they got a lot of questions to answer about themselves. And they've certainly taught the magic a few things as well. When we come back, we're going to chat a little bit about the magic and Paolo Bancaro's growth in clutch play, why that is so important, and why the failures this year are going to be important for next year as well. We'll get to that coming up here in just a moment. But first, a quick word from our friends over at Game Time. Last Friday, I went to the Trop, my first trip to Tropicana Field in St. Pete in more than 20 years. They had their throwback jerseys on. I swear they were using the same throwback intro uh, from the late 90s that I watched the last, or early 2000s, maybe, I don't even remember what it was, that I watched the last time I went to a Rays game. I got to put my hand in the Ray tank. It was an awesome time. And the Rays won, which was excellent. How did I get my tickets? Well, I went to game time. And it was really, really simple to get my tickets uh, and and get my opportunity to go see the best team in baseball uh, play against the Los Angeles Dodgers. It was a great time. We got to get tickets right behind home plate. Had a fantastic, fantastic evening. Game time was so simple. They showed me where the tickets were available. If I clicked on it, I could see kind of a, a, a picture of where my seats would be, what my, what my seats would look like. If I had any problems, they were easy to contact. They explained everything so simply. Game time is going to be where I go to get my tickets to any sporting event, really any event that I can think of. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds, it's really just two taps and you're set. And tickets are sent directly to your phone, either through that through their through their app. They will text you it. If if something's wrong, they will fix it. Trust me, I, I had a I had a, I had a little bit of an issue with MLB's app. Tickets weren't transferred in there. They said, nope. Here's the links to your tickets. Save the save these links. You're all set. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app and create an account. And use code Locked On NBA for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again. Create an account and redeem code locked on NBA for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. So, you know, I think about the playoffs with, with the magic out of the playoffs. I think about them a lot as. What can we learn from the teams that made it? What can we what can we learn from these games? Because you know Jamal Mosley has been very very clear about this too, that he he is preparing his team for the playoffs already. He is preparing his team today for the playoffs tomorrow. He shows them playoff clips. He gives them things to he gives his team things things to think about 
as far as preparing for postseason. He has been through these battles and is trying to use his playoff experience to make up for the team's lack of playoff experience. They've never been there. They don't know what, what's going on. They don't know what's happening. This is how they learn. This is how they get better at that stuff. Uh, and so it's important to look at the playoffs, understand, okay, what's it going to take to A, just to get there, and B, to win? Because we're not sitting here going for playoff scraps. The Magic, at least the way that they talk about these things, are not interested in just making a playoff cameo. They want to be in the playoffs, and they want to do the thing for real. Um, that is still that is that is still the goal. And so, you know, one thing that we've talked about is clutch play. Now, I will sit here and tell you, clutch play isn't that important. Nothing changes about clutch play. If you're a good team, you avoid clutch games because clutch games are 50-50. But that's that's not entirely true, guys. I, I'll admit, I'll admit to that. That's me trying to say, don't emphasize the first, the last two minutes. Emphasize the first. Emphasize those middle two minutes. Emphasize minute time elsewhere in the game. It's all important. But I I won't deny it. The different a good clutch record is the difference between finishing where the magic finished in 11th or wherever they finished, 11th, uh, and and getting or not 11th, 12th. 13. I don't remember where they finished. Um, it's the difference between where the Magic finish and getting in the play-in tournament. It's the difference between a, a nine seed and a six seed. It's the difference between getting out of the first round, getting to the second round. Clutch play does matter. If you can turn a coin flip game in your favor, if you can turn more coin flip games in your favor than you don't, you're going to have a good chance of winning. You're going to have a good chance of playing well, of doing well. And that's ultimately where the Magic kind of struggled. But that struggle, I think at least, had a point. According to NBA.com's definition of clutch, which is the game, a game within five points in the final five minutes, the Magic finished 19 and 25 in clutch situations. They played the ninth most clutch games this year. Now, Considering the previous year when the Magic won 22 games, they played, I think, one of the fewest clutch games in the clutch games in the year, and they had a bad record. So to me, that number says two things. One, the Magic were in a lot of games, they were very, very competitive. And two, they finished 500, they finished 22 and 22. That's three games. Considering they they just tanked their last three games because they were out of it, that's enough to get them in the play. So being able to survive. Late in games matters. But of course, as we've discussed all year, the Magic weren't simply playing for this season. This, I, I, I know I said this ad nauseum. I know some of y'all might hate me for saying it, saying it this way. This season was never about this season. This season is not about this season. And so the Magic made decisions that probably cost them a few games. The Magic made choices that probably hurt them trying to win some of these games. But they were about the long term. And a lot of this is about putting the ball in Paolo Bancaro's hands. Paolo Bancaro 
scored a team-high 91 points in clutch situations. However, shot only 41.4%, 24 for 58, dished out only nine assists. Thanks to 46 free throws, though, he had a 58.2% true shooting percentage. The Magic were happy to give Paolo the ball late in games, just as they were happy to give Franz Wagner the ball. He led the team in clutch field goal attempts, but shot just 38.8%, 26 for 67, uh, and made only six of 33 pointers in clutch situations, scored a total of 75 points. Again, those are your two top field goal shooters in clutch situations. The Magic gave their young guys the ball and allowed them to make mistakes. That means for Paolo and for Franz, understanding when to take a pull-up, when to drive to the basket, when to try and score at the rim, when to try and drive but dish out. Neither of them had a lot of assists. It's understanding and getting reps in those situations so that when we do get to a game four, down 2-1, and you need a win, and you need a basket, those guys will be ready. They'll have seen these situations. It won't be new. Because if the Magic were trying to win a lot of these games, Markel Fultz was the clear choice to, to have the ball late in games. He was third in total points with 72, almost as many as Franz. Shot 59.1%, 26 for 44, with 17 assists. No one had more assists in clutch situations than Markel Fultz. Just watching those games, like he he was a big reason why the Magic won the Heat game in overtime um, back in March. Watching those games, Markel Fultz was the better engine to generate and drive offense. He is that dude. He is that guy. And so it's, it's, there were very clearly choices made by the Magic. And again, I agree with these choices. I think this is the right thing to do. Very clearly choices made by the Magic to put the ball in the hands of their future. And we saw this grow as the season went on. You know, the Magic did a very good job. They, they have this matchup advantage. They have these big forwards who can handle the ball and get to the basket. They were happy to run high pick and rolls and let them try and attack the basket. And you look at a lot of the big clutch situations, they made it to the basket more often than not. They put themselves in a position to score. Again, it's about getting those reps. They may not have scored all the time, but it was about getting those reps. And they got plenty of those reps. They got downhill. They got big baskets. You go back and look at the growth throughout the season. You know, Franz missed that shot against Indiana that would have won the game. A very good play uh, from the Magic on that on that one that, that just didn't didn't go down. Um, you can live with a maker or miss shot. Um, you've got, you know, Paolo, Paolo in February against the Heat made a ton of mistakes down the stretch. He got stymied by Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler and, and really struggled. But over the next month, he had some of his best clutch performances. Even the Detroit game, when Wendell Carter got the, the putback dunk, that was set up by Paolo getting to the basket and putting the ball on the rim. They put the ball in his hands and said, go. And he went and something happened. The New Orleans game, probably the biggest moment of Paolo's season. I am still in love with his game at New Orleans when he scored six points in the final two minutes, hit two tremendously tough jumpers that were just pure, that were just full of confidence and surety. 
he was that dude. And then when I came back to playing Miami in March, he was settling for his pull-up a little bit more, but he was playing with much more confidence. And he delivered a big game in, in the clutch. Really, you know, the Magic have guys that can score late in games, that can create their shot, that can that can beat set defenses. And, and that's the exciting part because the Magic haven't had that in a long time. The Magic were not bad actually scoring in clutch situations. They were 10th in the league in offensive rating in clutch situations at 111.1 points per 100 possessions. So finding this right mix appeared to work. The problem was defensive poise. As much as we want to talk about on-ball stuff, the Magic blew a lot of leads late in games. They struggled uh, defensively a lot in clutch situations. They had one of the worst defensive clutch ratings at 120.4 points per 100 possessions. That If there's a clue that maybe their defense isn't as real as we think, they were sixth in the league after December 7th, that's probably it. They still have to, 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 to learn how to get stops. As much as we like talking about scoring, it's still about getting stops in the end. But this was a process over results season. As, as, as fun as it is to talk about the results, because they were very, very good, this was a process over results season. Jamal Mosley always had the big picture in mind. And that's why the Magic made some of the choices that they made. When we come back, a little bit of internet discussion, partially brought on by Dwight. We'll talk a little bit about Dwight Howard versus Nikola Jokic. Might not really a debate between the two, but a debate about Dwight himself. We'll get to that coming up here in just a moment. So Dwight Howard right now is, I don't want to pretend to know what Dwight Howard's up to. He's, He's over in Taiwan. He's still playing basketball. He's a superstar over there. Um, he seems to find a new way to put his foot in his mouth every every week, um, whether it's causing international, uh, you know, crises or you know trying to invite players who come play in Taiwan who are struggling in the NBA or whatever it is. But the latest one was him him essentially saying, I believe that he could dominate Nikola Jokic. That, you know, he could he could beat Nikola Jokic. And, you know, that got some of NBA Twitter talking. And, and I caught a few of these things. And, and and honestly, like, a lot of it was like, okay, Dwight, like, calm like calm down. Yes, Dwight should have won MVP in 2011. Um, I will die on that hill. Um, Dwight should have won MVP in 2011 over Derrick Rose. Um, uh, I, I, Derrick Rose did not have a good year that year. I had a good year, but not an MVP year. Um, but... Um, uh, but Dwight was not Nikola Jokic. He was not doing the things that Jokic was doing. And, and But I was honestly impressed by the internet on this. The internet, instead of taking it as like, come on, Dwight, you were a scrub. What are you talking about? It was mostly like, you know, I think I saw a lot of like people that I respect who took, who screen grabbed that. And that's how I saw this. And they said, you know, I think Jokic is probably better. And I, I would agree with that. And I'm a big Dwight fan. Um, I think Jokic is probably better, but good on Dwight for protecting his legacy. Good on Dwight for defending how good he was because we forget how good Dwight Howard was. We forget the force that Dwight Howard was. 
And honestly, I thought about this a little bit. As much of a force as Nikola Jokic is, as much as he has flipped offense on its head, Dwight Howard did the same for defense. He was the most dominant defensive force in the league for six or seven years. Three Defensive Player of the Year awards. He turned Jameer Nelson into the point guard of a top 10 defense. Turned Vince Carter into the... It, he, he made Jameer Nelson, Vince Carter, and Hito Turkoglu look good on defense. I think that tells you... I've always said that. That tells you all you need to know. And so really, this isn't a debate about Dwight versus Jokic. Even I would agree Nikola Jokic is probably a better player. Um, you know, get he's... Jokic is maybe about to win a championship. Um, although, having said that, 2020 Dwight did give Jokic some issues. So we do have maybe some direct comparisons. they like, oh, maybe Dwight was a better player, uh, at least defensively. At least maybe he could hold up defensively. Um, this is really a statement, though, about Dwight and his legacy. And, you know, it's been a decade since Dwight Howard left the Orlando Magic. Um, obviously, his career has taken on a, a sojourn. He has been kind of lost in basketball wilderness. Some of it his own doing because of his antics and his belief of who he is, which again, I don't blame players for having egos. You have to have an ego to be successful in this league. Some of it is the league really, really changed quickly on him. The revolution, you know, I remember I was I watched a documentary on, on uh, Arches National Park and a line that always stuck with me about some of the rock formations and arches is that the very same forces that create these structures and create these beautiful structures are the one are, is the same force that's going to ultimately destroy them. <laughs> and that to me is sort of like Dwight Howard's career. Dwight Howard was a defensive force. The Magic created an offensive strategy and a defensive strategy that changed the entire league. You can't convince me otherwise. And that ultimately made Dwight obsolete because he couldn't play on the perimeter. He, he couldn't, you know, he had to be near the basket. And you couldn't scheme around, and then ultimately his back injury, uh, you know, really sapped him of a lot of his, his strength and explosiveness. And again, then he started getting passed around a little bit because, you know, he's a Hall of Famer, and 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 he wasn't ready to let go of that. But Dwight was still a, a truly dominant player. You could tell he was irked by not being on the NBA seventy-five team, and, and I know we talked about that way back when. Uh, last last summer, uh, last year, uh, when that, that list came out. I am still a big-time Dwight defender. I think it's time to bring Dwight home. I think it's time for Dwight Howard to come home, personally. Uh, I think we're well overdue for it. Um, and, and, you know, maybe you want to wait for him to retire and officially officially uh, end his basketball career before you do that because, you know, you don't want to celebrate players while they're still technically in the league, while they're playing on other teams. But it's time to welcome Dwight home. Whatever bad feelings you have, we got Paolo now. It's it's time to welcome him home. Because ultimately, the keepers of his legacy are us. If we want the rest of the NBA to understand how good Dwight Howard was and how good those Magic teams were in 2009, 2010, especially, it's up to us as the Magic community to keep that legacy. And yes, we understand there are flaws. And it was a really, really ugly exit. But so was Shaq's exit, and we've largely welcomed him back. So was Penny's exit, and we have completely welcomed him back. So was T-Mac's exit, and we have completely welcomed him back. It's 
and I hope Dwight understands this too. If he wants to protect his legacy in the league, it starts with making amends with Orlando. It starts with coming home to Orlando and allowing us to be his great defenders. Because we were his defenders when he was playing. And, you know, there's certainly a few, a few of us here, I, I would include myself, who will defend his legacy um, particularly well as, as well. But Dwight ha- does have a legacy to protect. And he does have a statement to make that, yeah, I was an MVP caliber player. I was the best defensive player in the league. And maybe I couldn't shut down Jokic, but the gap between me and Nikola Jokic isn't that great. Y'all just have to listen. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. You can, of course, find me on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd. Subscribe to the podcast and Apple Podcasts. Switch your tune in Himway, Google Play, Spotify, Odyssey, and all the fun places on the podcast to your podcast-enabled listening device. For the latest on the Orlando Magic, be sure to check out orlandomagicdaily.com. You can follow us there on Twitter at omagicdaily. We want to thank you again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. On tomorrow's episode of Locked on Magic, we're going to dive a little bit deeper into two of the shooters in this year's NBA draft. We're going to talk about Grady Dick and Jordan Hawkins in a little bit more detail and how they fit the Magic's needs and why the choice between the two of them is not so cut and dry as you think. We'll get to that on tomorrow's episode of Locked on Magic for my everydayers. Be sure to tune in. But until then, for Orlando Magic Daily and Locked on Magic, this has been Philip Ross and Reich. We'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked on Magic.